Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbow, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, we talk to Emily Nash, class of 2010, talented and gifted teacher at College Community School District in Cedar Rapids. Emily will share with us how she began her career in math education, and now how she helps guide talented and gifted students to reach their full potential. Joining us from the class of 2010 is Emily Nash. Emily, what do you do? Um, I am currently a uh, gifted and talented middle school teacher in seventh through ninth grade. Emily, when you left WeGo, how did you begin the journey towards education? So when I left WeGo um, and went to the University of Iowa, um, I actually started as an elementary education major. Um, at that point in time, I was doing a lot of babysitting and I really thought I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. Um, I quickly decided that that was probably not the right path and um, ended up switching to uh, middle school. What was kind of like your sense of what was in, in, in your preference to kind of go up to middle school versus high school or stay at elementary? Um, so I actually um, started uh, working for a family my first semester of college um, where that were a little bit older and I was kind of like their, their, their driver, for lack of a better word. Um, and I just used to, I had so much fun with them and I used to help them with their math all the time. And that was kind of what sparked me thinking that maybe I didn't want to do elementary and that I liked working with older kids. So I uh, switched after my first semester to um, secondary math education. Um, which was a big switch because as a secondary teacher, you actually major in the subject area that you teach. So um, to then switch from being an education major to basically being a math major um, after my first semester. Um, but I originally kind of thought I was going to do high school. Um, and then after some of my, my field experiences in college, I decided that middle school was the way to go. What were some of, what were some of the, the math classes that you had to take uh, for in, the, in this program? Oh boy, all of them. Um, so I started off with um, all the calculus classes, one, two, three, um, and then I had to take some of the higher higher level math classes. So there was some, um, I had to take non-Euclidean geometry and abstract algebra. Um, I had, I took some probability and statistics courses. So they kind of, it's kind of a little bit, it's like the entry level course in each subject area. Um, but when you're talking about upper level math, entry level is kind of a, a misnomer. Um, so they were some, there were some pretty challenging math courses. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And so where did you then uh, begin some of your student teaching? So, um, I was at the university of Iowa, which is in Iowa city. Um, so I did some of my smaller field experiences kind of in the Iowa city school district. And then I actually ended up student teaching in West Liberty. Um, Iowa, which is about 30 minutes east of Iowa City. 
Um, it's a very small town. Um, and um, I think I had 90 students in seventh grade uh, for student teaching. Um, and But it was a really kind of tight-knit community. And um, there were some, some unique aspects of the school that made it a, a really cool experience. Was that done maybe your junior or senior year? So it was my last semester of my senior year was my student teaching. Um, so I took uh, classes all the way up through my first semester of senior year and then did a full, um, what it had been, 16 weeks? I think it was a full 16 weeks of student teaching in the same classroom, which was really great. Um, a lot of the uh, colleges in Iowa do like eight-week eight week placements, so they do half and half at different um, grade levels. Um, so I felt like I was really lucky to be able to have a, a full 16-week placement. How, how soon did you find your, your position at the school? Was, sometimes it's a struggle to find a teaching job right out of school. What was that experience like for you? Um, so I actually, and I will, I will be fully willing to admit, I got very lucky. So there was a school district that I had an eye on um, in Cedar Rapids, and um, I, they just had a good reputation, and I had heard some things about it. And um, my second week of student teaching, um, there was a math position, a middle school math position that was posted. Um, and as, as it was my second week of student teaching, I didn't have any of my letters of recommendation. I didn't have my resume done. And I hadn't done any teaching yet. And really, I was just kind of assisting at that point in student teaching. Um, but I was really um, grateful that my supervising teacher um, was extremely supportive and really kind of helped me gather everything that I needed within like 48 hours to get my application submitted. Um, and I interviewed the next week and had an offer the next day. So um, I was able to to nail down a, a post-college job um, by, I think it was like the beginning of February of student teaching, and then I graduated in May. That is a dream. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's so great. Is it? Is that? It's not always. It's not always easy. Uh, there's you know so many. Sometimes there's so many candidates and all that. So uh, that's mm -hmm. great. So now uh, that's now is that the same school that you've been with since, uh, or the same district that you've been with uh, since you started? Yes. Yep. So I'm at um, uh, College Community or. Uh, Cedar Rapids Prairie District in um, the southern part of Cedar Rapids, and um, I've been there ever since. <laughs> so now you kind of get to get into the kind of the, the teaching part of it, because you have a new position at the school, and we'll get to that in, in a little bit. Um, what was your first year of teaching like? Uh, my first year of teaching was hectic. Um, I it was, you know, just trying to kind of balance everything. I have a tendency to have really high expectations for myself. So going in and, you know, feeling like I was going to be the best teacher ever. And, um, you know, then the realization that you have to kind of take it incremental, incrementally and improve on small things as you go. And sometimes you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to make mistakes. Um, but I was uh, really lucky to have a huge support system here at school with, um, it's a fairly big school. So there were two other seventh grade math teachers um, that I worked with regularly that were extremely supportive. And um, my interdisciplinary team was great. And um, I, I was lucky to have that support. Um, there's also in um, our district, we have a, or through our, our AEA, which is an area education agency, um, they, we have a pretty strong mentorship program. So I also had a, a mentor that was not, that was fully released from teaching. So she, all she did was mentoring um, and she was also a huge support. So I really kind of had to learn how to lean on other people, which is not something I had, had done a lot up until then. 
when did you think that you began to kind of get a sense like you got your sea legs, right? Where you're like, okay, I'm not a first year teacher anymore, but it, it, things seem to kind of slow down for me. And you can kind of get the whole sense of planning and time management and kind of the creative side that goes with teaching. When did you, when did you have that aha moment where you're like, okay, I got this? Um, well, I would say kind of in, in a vacuum, I would say probably by like year three, I started feeling a lot more comfortable. Um, you know, but as you know, with teaching and any other teachers out there know, um, they're always kind of throwing new things at you. So for example, last year we had a brand new math curriculum and I felt like a first year teacher again after, after seven years of teaching. So, um, but I think it was about year three when I kind of started to figure out what worked for me and what worked for kind of my style. Um, while also, um, you know, trying to get the best outcomes from students as well. You know, you started at a really unique time, which is the early, it's not the aughts, what we call the early teens of 2000, uh, uh, and where you were a young teacher, but there was also this new boom of like technology kind of finding its way into the classroom where you didn't, as a student, you were probably more pen and paper and, and textbook. And now you have Chromebooks and there's all these kind of different softwares and, and programs. How were you able to kind of, um, was that something that you were learning while you were at university of Iowa or is this, was this something that was kind of, you were learning as it was kind of uh, coming to you as a, as a, an instructor? I did learn a lot. Um, the University of Iowa did a great job of kind of implementing some technology learning since they knew it was really coming down the, the pipe there. Um, it also helped a lot that um, the, the family that I started working for my, my freshman year of college, I worked through for um, almost all the way through and they actually did have, um, the, it, was, it was three girls and by the time I stopped working for them, they were all in junior high or high school. Um, but they had technology through their school um, so I could kind of see what was going on a little bit and, and where things were heading. Um, I actually kind of had an interesting experience because my first two years of teaching here at Prairie, um, we did not have one-to-one -one technology. Um, we had limited access to some iPads and some, some older laptops and stuff like that. And then my third year of teaching, we um, integrated Chromebooks one-to-one. -one uh, so for those of you who don't know, one, one Chromebook to every student. Um, so having their own own computer, basically, uh, my third year of teaching. So um, I always felt pretty comfortable with technology. Um, so it was actually really exciting to me to kind of be able to learn alongside everybody else and learn alongside the kids how to best utilize the technology in the classroom. And then I think I don't think it was that year, but I think it was the next year I actually got asked to be a, a digital literacy trainer um, as part of which was just kind of an extra leadership position. Um, to kind of help bring some of the other staff along in uh, professional development with technology. So that was that was a great experience. Uh, that's that's so neat. What was some of your um, the the work you did with uh, digital literacy? Like, and I guess that for, I'm asking for professional curiosity too. Like, what are your favorite um, math tools to use for digital literacy? And then, what are your uh, maybe favorite or go to instructional uh, digital literacy that you use? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's an it's a great question, and I feel like it changes constantly. Um, I think back to when I first started utilizing technology, how I would have answered it versus now. Um, but right now, I'd say, I mean, I really like there's a, 
a site called Edge Elastic, um, which is kind of a really flexible um, assessment or assignment creator, uh, but they have more um, math tools and more, well, they have literacy tools as well, but a lot of the technology is like multiple choice type questions, but Edge Elastic, you can do like uh, drag and drop and you can do graphs and you can do put in the correct order, or like add to a number line, put on a spectrum. So they, um, it just has a lot of really flexible um, options to create things, which I really liked as a math teacher. Sometimes it was hard to find technology where I could all really see what students knew um, and see some of their work. Uh, so that's definitely a favorite. Um, what else? We, I mean, we're, we're a Google school, so I use um, Google Drive and all of that uh, pretty, pretty consistently. Um, so I kind of try and stay on top of um, any of the new advancements with that, uh, with Google Classroom or with uh, uh, Google Forms has some cool um, opportunities you can do with it um, that are, I like I like tools that are kind of flexible where it's you can kind of change it to make it work for what you need it for no doubt that already in your your teaching you've come across you know students who just intuitively get it mm -hmm. and there are others that maybe can't quite get the abstraction uh, of it mm -hmm. uh, Maybe uh, walk me through like one of your favorite stories of how you were able to kind of kind of crack the code with a student that was struggling. Um, I don't have a specific example, I don't think, but I, I at least off the top of my head, especially because I'm not teaching math anymore. But um, I um, I always really kind of tried to approach it from the uh, like the growth mindset perspective, and that everybody has strengths and growth areas, and um, you know, one of my goals very early on in my teaching was that um, that it was a safe space to learn. Um, and so I really tried to, to make it a place where no matter what you were able to do or where you were at now, that um, you could still grow and you could still learn something. And I, you know, I, I, I tried to make it approachable for students and take the pressure off a little bit because I think that's a, a big aspect, especially with math, is um, when you put the pressure on some people just don't learn that way or learn at the same speed that you think they should, you know, one lesson a day or whatever it is. And so kind of try to take the pressure off as much as I could and just, um, you know, celebrate whatever growth that was being made and, and um, kind of empower the students to feel like um, whatever they were learning was important, even if it wasn't um, the same as what their neighbor was learning in the class. What's your favorite non-math thing that's math that you would advise students that like if they were to kind of read, they would kind of get better at math just because they're engaging with it as a text, like as a as a math mind and a math teacher, like what's something that they could do away from school that actually makes them better at math kind of passively? That is an excellent question. Um, I feel like there's a lot of things. I The first thing that pops into my head, actually, though, is um, I had a, a, a kid that I used to babysit. And when he was like three years old, um, he could um, he could make uh, predictions about uh, basketball games um, by looking at the score. So he could say, you know, I this this team has this many points, this team has this many points. And um, you know, they would need this many points to win and they would need this many points to win. So I think that, you know, um, the statistics of sports is is really kind of an underutilized thing and um, a passion area for a lot of people, especially young people. Um, so really looking at some of the, 
you know, the, the March Madness and the, the um, statistics of that. Um, I'd also say like uh, technology and um, like video games and stuff. Um, I like programming obviously has a lot of uses and it's very flexible and you can do a lot of different things with it. And it is, it is very math based and it's a similar type of thinking. Um, and same with video games. I mean, just being able to, um, you know, know the resources that you have and and use them strategically and um you know the perseverance that sometimes comes from that as well i think those are uh you know i know with my students the the sports and the games are kind of the two of the big spectrums that we uh we end up with in in seventh grade but um you know i think just kind of finding finding your passion and you know and not being afraid to um explore that passion from all the different sides Emily, you you have, you know, there's been a change at your school or a new opportunity. I was wondering if you can describe what your new position is there. Um, absolutely. So um, last year, um, I was kind of, you know, I was feeling a little antsy um, and feeling like I kind of needed to, to change things up a little bit. And um, I also, when I was at Iowa, got my um, endorsement in gifted and talented um, education, which, you know, some places it's called uh, extended learning or advanced learning. Um, and it was always just kind of something I had in my back pocket. And the um, gifted and talented teacher at my school actually decided to retire kind of last minute just with all the, uh, the, the craziness of the COVID teaching years. Um, and I went for that opportunity. So I'm now the uh, gifted and talented specialist for seventh, eighth and ninth grade. Um, at my school. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm back in a brand new learning curve um, with that, but it's, it's been really fun and really interesting. So how does the school identify and develop these students that are gifted and talented? So I am, we are really lucky in this district. I actually just got back from uh, the Iowa uh, gifted conference just earlier this week. And we're really lucky at my school. We actually have six um, gifted and talented teachers across the district. Um, so many of the, the people that we talked to at the conference, it was, you know, one teacher half time for kindergarten through 12th grade. And it was just crazy to think about that. And um, so we're really lucky here that we have a, a lot of a lot of teachers and a lot of really knowledgeable teachers. So as far as um, like identification, so we we look at we do what's called a universal screener in uh, third grade and sixth grade um, to kind of uh, we use the, the COGAT test, the cognitive abilities test. Um, to uh, kind of look at some of that. And, um, and then, so by the time they get to seventh, eighth, ninth grade, the, the identification, I do identify some kids. I actually spent some time at the beginning of the year working through that um, with students new to the district or um, some things like that. But I, um, by seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, we, a lot of them are already kind of in the program. Um, and then as far as how we serve them, it's, I'm, lucky in a lot of ways because I have a lot of flexibility. Um, I can kind of do things the way that I want to do them and, and take what the previous teacher did and, and run with some of it and alter some of it and learn from others. And um, which is, is, it's a really great creative opportunity for me that I, I didn't always feel like I had in the math classroom. Um, so we, in seventh, eighth and ninth grade, it's kind of a mix of, we do some uh, like class-based extensions. So if students are, you know, reading a, a novel and uh, literacy, we, they might, you know, read a different novel and, you know, that's a, a higher level. 
Um, so some of that kind of like class-based extensions. Um, I also um, am the sponsor of most of our academic competitions. Um, so we have a lot of students in the GT program who take advantage of some of those academic competitions, such as which, you know, some of the listeners at, at WeGo might be a part of, but we've got, um, you know, some, some speech opportunities and we've got, um, I actually have, uh, we have a team doing academic pentathlon and academic decathlon this year, um, which is kind of a, a cross-curricular uh, academic competition. And there's some, some writing competitions as well. And so I'm kind of the sponsor for most of those. So helping, especially once they get into more eighth and ninth grade, acting a little bit as a counselor and an advocate to um, help match students with opportunities and help advocate for students in the classroom. So I spend a lot of time uh, talking to students individually and with parents to kind of um, uh, help meet the needs of all the students and, and you know, which is really fun after being in the, the gen ed classroom for so many years to feel like I have the, the time and the space to work with students on their individual needs. Because as you know, when you have, you know, 150 or 200 students, um, you, want to be able to do that so much, but there's just not always the time or the opportunity. So that's something that I've, I've really um, enjoyed about this position. How many students do you, uh, do you work with? Um, I have about 150 students, seventh, eighth, and ninth. Um, oh, that's, so still, that's still a lot to, to, um, to get your arms around for sure. Yes. Um, it's, you know, whatever, what's, what's today's date? It's October 21st. And I, uh, um, some of my students I've only seen once so far, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Yeah. Now, do they, with these gifted and talented, do, do some, I mean, do they, some of them show their aptitude maybe more in language versus the arts or, or versus the, the, the technical and the, the mathematics and, and science? Um, and, and so you have to kind of um, be able to bridge both of those things, or do they, do they have to show aptitudes in all, or do you kind of just allow them to kind of flourish in maybe just maybe one of those aptitudes? Uh, kind of more of the latter. So we, um, the way that we identify is we look at, um, we look at math, we look at reading um, with a couple of different uh, data points, and then we also look at creativity. Um, so that was actually something I was doing today, right before our conversation was um, talking to some of my students who were kind of more identified for creativity about um, some feedback that they can give me about ways that I can help them with that. So I actually had a, a group of kids playing a whose line is it anyway type uh, improv game, um, eighth period today. Um, and it was just the funniest thing ever. Um, so it, it was a lot of fun. But um, so we identify for creativity. And then we also kind of have a goal, especially the, the high school gifted and talented teacher and I to start looking at um, leadership. Um, so that's something that a lot of schools in Iowa do and probably across the country, but identify for um, a talent in leadership. Um, which I think would be amazing because I do think that, you know, the, these seventh, eighth and ninth graders are the, are the leaders of tomorrow. So I think it, it, it would be a really empowering experience for some of them to um, explore that at this point. I, I just because the English teacher me has to ask, like, what, what were some of the um, novels that were kind of amplified or they kind of get chosen to kind of be like the, the next level that you guys uh, were using? Um, that's a great question. Let me think. So we used, um, I know one of the books that we used, it was, it's, it wasn't actually a novel, but was, uh, it's called No End in Sight. Um, and it's about, I can't remember her name now. I actually read it this summer. Um, but about, um, a, 
legally blind sled dog racer. Um, super interesting story. Um, and then let me think. Um, I know for acad our academic competitions, there's actually a book they have to read. So for pentathlon, it's a long walk to water, um, which is actually a book that they read in seventh grade. Um, and then for ninth grade, it's Seawolf by Jack London, um, which I will admit I've made it through the first two pages. It's a really dense book. <laughs> when I see my ninth graders reading it, I'm like, man, more power to you. I'm, I've tried. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'll try again, but I haven't quite, quite gotten into that one yet. Do you think that you're going to stick in teaching or, I mean, you, uh, or are you thinking maybe that administration might be something where you go next? Um, so my hope is, um, to stay in teaching at least for a while. Um, you know, I'm kind of trying to stay open to it. I know there's like, uh, some statistics now that talk about how often, uh, people of my generation and some of the generations coming up actually change career paths. So, um, I've always kind of thought that was interesting. So I'm trying to, to be a little bit more flexible with my plans and, and be open to opportunities that come up. But my hope is to stay in teaching. Um, I've, uh, you know, really enjoying my new position and I, I have a lot of goals and aspirations with things that I feel like I could um, make an impact on in the program. Um, if I were to leave teaching, I probably would not go the administrative route. Um, I would probably kind of actually go into the private sector. I know there's a, um, I've lived at some positions with um, content creation and, um, you know, kind of more of like the corporate training and some things like that, that I think would be um, well suited to my skills as well. What, what's something that you're kind of really excited about in terms of your field of education that you see kind of a, a good trend that's moving forward with, uh, with your experience in uh, observation so far? Um, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I just think the being able to build relationships and work with students individually is just, um, I just love it. Um, you know, I, I, student relationships have always been one of the most important things to me in my, in my teaching. And, you know, I, I think I, even right now I can think back with regret on some of the conversations I had and, you know, and some, some missed opportunities that I had with students because, you know, I know, I know personally how impactful teachers can be, including yourself, um, and, and kids' paths moving forward. So I just, I, I think it's really important that, you know, students feel safe and feel like they have, you know, someone that they can talk to and somebody that they, um, you know, knows them and pushes them. And, um, you know, so that, I think that, that aspect of it is, is, um, just really cool. Um, and I think as far as in terms of education in general, we're, I know in our district, we're really making a move towards more personalized learning structures and more flexible learning structures, um, which I think could have really cool implications for gifted and talented, especially, um, you know, if we are able to break out of some of our, our structures and our, you know, grade level structures or, um, you know, content standard structures and, and be a little bit more flexible. I could, I really think there could be some cool opportunities for our, our, um, some of our gifted and talented learners. Emily, this was so much fun. I usually end the interview with a question, which is, do you have any tips for success for current Wildcats? Tips for success for current Wildcats. Um, can I give two? You can give as many as you like. <laughs> um, well, one I would say kind of like for right for you guys right now 
um, is just try out everything. Um, you know, I think sometimes, and we kind of get on a, on a path when we're in high school and feel like we can't deviate from that. But, um, you learn so much about yourselves when you try, um, try different things. And, um, the fact is, is that, you know, I, when you get into post high school and, and beyond, um, you're going to be in positions where you're going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to know what's going on. And the more experiences that you can have where you've, you've tried something new and maybe been bad at it, <laughs> um, will really serve you in the long run. Um, my other big tip is um, really have an open mind when you're thinking about um, where you're going to head as far as a career. Um, you know, I, I see it all the time, especially in, in middle school, and I know it gets better in high school, but, you know, the, I always call it like the, the doctor, lawyer, teacher conundrum where, um, you know, you kind of peg yourself down and there's, I mean, there's so many different interesting opportunities out there that might be completely different than what you think they are. You might not even know that they're there. Um, an example I'll give, I was at a, a STEM conference with some of my seventh and eighth grade girls last week, and um, we went to a presentation by a technical writer. Um, so they write like, you know, the the white papers and the, the directions and, you know, the warning labels and like kind of some interesting things. And uh, the women who were talking to us were had um, English or writing degrees, um, and they ended up going into a technology field that involved writing. And some of my my students were, thought that was really cool that they were like, wow, I've never, you know, I love to write, but I always kind of thought, you know, if I love to write, I was going to be, you know, a, a novelist, which is hard to do, or an English teacher or something. And so I think really opening your mind up to what are the things that you really enjoy doing and knowing that um, there's a lot of different opportunities you might not realize that will allow you to explore those interests and, and strengths. Wow, that's great. Perfect. Emily, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, Find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search WeGo Vox. That's WeGo V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at WeGo Places Podcast or on Twitter at WeGo Places.